This is Dave Pickering, who generally produces the Restart Project podcast. The beginning of today's episode of Restart Radio was cut off when it reached me from the mix cloud that went out on Resonance FM. So missing the beginning of the audio. So what I'm going to do is give you a bit of audio of Janet from the Restart Project telling you what the Restart Project is all about. Then it's going to cut to where the audio comes in with Ugo finishing introducing me and then the rest of the episode will be as aired. Welcome to the Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance FM 104.4. This is a different show because, like most, we don't focus on all those new, shiny, shiny things you should buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community repair events here in London, called Restart Parties, are just the beginning. Our podcaster, Storyteller, and Ten Yen, a very, very experienced restarter. Hey there. So today we will have a focus on some of the key repairs that we have witnessed or enjoyed the most during the year and then have a critical look, as always, at some of the key tech stories we've read this week. So, Ten, you've been a keen repairer for a long time, but including for the whole of 2015 with Restart. What, what have you learned or enjoyed the most this year? Uh, I've learned a lot, but I, I think my, my yeah my favorite repair is about learning. Um, it was early February, um, and it's a different experience because uh, one of the things I like about going to restart parties is the different venues. So there was a, a new venue. It was underneath the Goldfinger Tower in the Goldfinger Factory, which is a place that upcycles old furniture. So as, as it's a, a wonderful in, venue in West London. Yeah, very, very, very interesting. Um, but we'd had, surprisingly for a restart party, we'd had contact previous to the party from the person bringing along an LCD TV. And because of the size of the TV, they were worried about bringing it and it not being fixed or not being seen to. So sometimes the beauty of a restart party is the surprise of the things you get. So you, you never know what you're going to get. But in this case, um, it actually allowed me to do the research, which guaranteed the fix, basically. I, I couldn't tell until the day. So there's there's a bit of tension there. So I was there's really, never really a guaranteed fix. No. Well, no, but the... Well, so, I mean... Uh, when there's never a guarantee, yeah, but when you when something's an easy fix and, and you know what the problem is, but um, I was I was able to do a lot of research on this, and there was something that I it was I I'd, I'd been interested in um, fixing LCD TVs um, because their value and their usefulness, and you do see a lot of them just discarded, uh, so. I was able to do research and it was a team effort as well because as soon as I, I arrived early, then the, I was introduced to the person with the TV. I got straight into it. It was what I was hoping it would be, uh, which was bulging capacitors, which are very easy to spot. Um, unfortunately, a lot of our pairs aren't that easy. And so for our listeners who have not heard about bulging capacitors before... Um, 
they're a wonderful manifestation of repair flows. So you feel like you're a bit of a doctor when you witness one of these moments or you open a TV and you see something that's a bit more swollen than it should be. Can you, can you tell us a bit more? I see. So a capacitor is a component, a bit like a battery. It stores energy. Um, unfortunately, we're getting to a point where we may not see capacitors like the ones... I saw in this item um, because they they come in a different formats. So you get surface mount capacitors, which aren't as easy to um, diagnose. But in these ones, yeah, they're just little cylindrical devices, um, and they are designed. They have a failure mode, a known failure mode, which is that they explode. They're they're full of a, a kind of a, a liquid. A, a liquid. So when they fail, um, they're designed. Uh, with a scoring across them, so you can see where they've where they uh, you can see a failing capacitor. And we've seen these devices, uh, TVs that are worth hundreds of pounds, often discarded, and you see them in the streets. People um, not that rarely just drop them because they don't know what to do. And actually, fixing a capacitor is something that, of course, you do need some skills. But it's actually a very cheap fix in regards to the cost of the spare part. Very cheap, yeah. So it was, um, I ended up, uh, as soon as I knew what the problem was, I, we, we couldn't get the person to open up the TV beforehand. Or we could have came with the parts uh, to, to diagnose places. And I rushed off on my bike to Maplin, quite expensive. Uh, but even at, uh, at a premium, it was under three pounds to fix a a TV. And actually, you can buy uh, in all kinds of shops um, full bags of capacitors with all kinds of different sizes, and they come incredibly cheap. And we, we do now, after February, I think, I believe from April, we started carrying a whole selection of capacitors because these are problems that we see more and more. And it's the kind of thing that you know, people, when their warranty expires, it, they're just feeling lost because if they have an engineer that comes to the house to fix that, potentially they might be charged £100 or something like that. And if the spare part was a pound, you, you feel a bit cheated in a sense. But I guess um, there is still value, especially with these TVs that are now massive. Why would you want to upgrade further? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, but it's, the, you, you it, it, it's no brainer. Although it, there is that, it's how much we value. It's the throwaway nature of these devices, and it's something that we we do well to fight against. Well, it, it, it's true that now the price keeps going down, and you see offer after offer, and what originally was. Um, full HD as the slogan. Now, if you don't have 4K, you are missing out. 4K being four times the, the previous resolution, which is just insane. Like you can see things better than any human could have seen. But what's the, what's next? I guess. I I was quite struck by your uh, team nature uh, element of this. What happened during the repair? So, I, yeah, I rushed off to Mapping to get the spare parts. Faraz desoldered the capacitors. I came back with the uh, capacitors and put them back in. And so, yeah, so it was, it was a team, team effort. We did the research as a team effort. Yeah, 
Sounds like an perfect team. Yeah, yeah, emergency, electrical emergency. But yeah, we yeah, it was uh, for me that was like a model restart. Apart apart from the fact having it was a, it felt a bit like cheating because I, I had I, I knew what I was going to do. Well, it, it worked. I'm certain that the person who came with that heavy large device was probably very very reassured by the fact that a whole team of people helped her realize that there was not just value but hope and actually a very simple way forward i think there's a nice connection to what dave i think has to say next in that we couldn't actually test what we were going to we couldn't because the tv we tested it with a computer and it already worked with a computer but we didn't have an aerial to test the TV. So I had to, I waited until the person got home and tested it. But I think Dave has... To a, get a feedback. Yeah, Dave has an even better story. <laughs> so, Dave, you've been following uh, as a narrator and a documentary podcaster yeah. um, the Restart Project now for about a year. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely changed the way that I think about electronic products, the way I think about the environment, the way I think about my own behavior, like so many things I've, I basically have been transformed by this process. And I, I assume that that will carry on as I, as I go on. I keep thinking, oh yeah, I'm, I'm getting, getting a handle of all the things I don't know about this subject and then some more stuff uh, pop up. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, it's interesting that you, that, this idea of, of of testing the devices so i've been to lots of restart parties and recorded people and recorded their their fixes um and the, there's a couple that i was sort of going to mention as my favorites um and i guess the one that ten is referring to is um the uh, at, at one of the last restart parties I've, i went to in brixton in the remakery um somebody brought in an espresso machine to fix um and it it was a successful fix uh, and what i liked about that that was that they'd brought some coffee from home and the way that we tested if the device worked was by making a, an espresso and i just felt like that was like the nicest way of uh, testing if something works uh, that i could think of and actually at that at that same restart party somebody did bring a, a, a big widescreen tv um that they'd found in the street um to see if they could fix it uh, and they happened to be nearby and so it wasn't too difficult for them to do and that wasn't a successful fix in that uh, we we couldn't we've, we we got the tv on and everything was working but there were still problems with the screen and so but the but the person who brought it was like yes i'm gonna i'm gonna my my, my brother likes fixing stuff i'm gonna carry on i'm gonna take this on and, and try and fix it again so that was also memorable but i think my favorite fix that i've seen in this year of documenting restart was <clears throat> like less about the it's less about how impressive the fix was and more about the relationship between the device and the person who brought it in so it was <clears throat> it was for uh, an episode that I made, episode three, uh, which was about the history of grassroots innovation. Um, but that wasn't really what the fix was about. This uh, elderly gentleman had brought in a Grundy battery powered, uh, battery operated radio that he'd bought in Berlin in 1956. Mm-hmm. And this like radio was his life. Like it, he had connections to all the way through his life with this radio uh, and it was fixed. So he could carry on having these memories, having this relationship with this device uh, going on into the future and that was beautiful to me uh, the the way he talked about it on, on mic was beautiful like it was one of my favourite bits of audio that I've grabbed at one of the parties uh, and yeah that was by far my favourite moment 
even though I guess it wasn't a particularly difficult fix, I don't think, for the people doing it, but it was just a beautiful reaction that it created in the person who brought it in. Well, there is certainly something special about radio and about radios. And it might sound funny that we're actually saying this on mic. Yeah, we're going very meta. On radio, very, very meta. But there's definitely something about the relationship that people do develop with these objects, particularly uh, radios, not just the beautiful old radios uh, with old transistors, and we've seen one of them very recently in Hackney, but all kinds of radios that maybe connect to other parts of our lives, other frequencies that you can't even listen to. Um, anymore uh, with these radios having changed place or obviously you can probably try to find them out online uh, but there is something that the mediated form of radio seems to bring back and people's love and affection for the devices absolutely and um, and actually today is quite a topical uh, conversation because it's a day where uh, Resonance FM at Resonance 104.4 FM is also celebrating going live on yet another platform um, having started today broadcasting on DAB um, which is great and uh, also reminds us of the fact that we at the Restart Parties we do see a lot of radios not just FM radios but the DAB radios and there seems to be an issue with lots of DAB radios we seem to see more DAB radios failing than traditional FM radio failing but we do try and we hopefully we will be able to help listeners uh, of Resonance uh, 104.4 FM fix their DAB radio if for whatever reason uh, it's starting to fail on them so do come and join us at any of our events uh, for that so moving on uh, we wanted to explore a little bit uh, some conversations around news that we've um, witnessed this week and one very contentious bit of news uh, that provoked a lot of conversations in our on social media as well as on uh, the restart uh, mailing list was about the uh, the miss from uh, Firefox Mozilla Firefox of their operating system designed originally for smartphone the Firefox OS now Firefox OS uh, was a an alternative to both Android and uh, iOS and it was designed to be very much open in the same sense that uh, Firefox, the once leader browser, is a free and open source. But for some reason, things didn't work as planned. And this week, just a few days ago, um, Mozilla announced that it, it is stopping producing new devices to be distributed through their carrier network of partners. So 10... What do you make of this? In hindsight, I think uh, they were destined to fail. I think the take-home message is that we, we're living in an age of monopoly. I think the, the iOS is its own system. Um, the Google Android is based on Linux. Uh, Firefox OS was also based on Linux. Um, I wonder whether we'll ever know what why they tried to fight the battle, why they tried to fight the Googles of the earth. And the other question is, I think the other, the big problem that we, you know, I can uh, tell you about is the problem is the hardware. 
there are, I think there's there's lots of skilled people who can write software, but until you can get open hardware, we're stuck with the people who are who are controlling that the conversation, which is the hardware manufacturers. So going in order, uh, what happened was that someone tried uh, the Mozilla Foundation and Mozilla tried to develop an alternative to the otherwise monopolizing um, iOS and Android uh, ecosystems by focusing on creating something with a different approach, an operating system for phones that was not designed to compete with a million apps, but where the browser would be the central um, way of accessing everything, um, which means there would be only web apps that would be temporarily installed on your device or otherwise just available based on mobile versions of websites. Which is a similar model to the uh, Google again, the Chromebook. Another strange uh, monster. What happened to that? <laughs> well, it, it, it's in different iterations. But basically what happened is when you try to compete with uh, other large ecosystems and you're starting from scratch, um, either you have a very strong and powerful community uh, that helps you develop, and certainly Mozilla does have that, but I think they probably miscalculated the magnitude of the effort required. Um, Tani, you've been using now for over a year a version of a Firefox OS phone, and you're still using it, actually. Yep. But it didn't come without compromises. Major compromises. Um, we were lucky enough to get it free from Mozilla. That's why I ended up with it. Uh, as a phone, it's a very nice device. Uh, only 3G, so I've actually I've, I've upgraded to a 4G phone, um, but I still I still use the phone because it, I, I now carry three three SIMs with me. <laughs> Just uh, I have to. I think uh, the take-home message uh, from is what alternatives are there, and I'd say where although Android controls the. Um, the operating system ecosystem, as a user, you still have control over where you get your applications from. So from the, you can use the Google Play Store or there are, altern there are very good alternatives like the F-Droid market. So, so what you're saying is even though the um, Google Android ecosystem is partly compromised because the model that Google uses, let's remember, um, is based on gathering all kinds of data about the way you use a phone and making money of that. Uh, Firefox certainly was trying to do something different where you have full control of your privacy, um, but you can limit to an extent the amount of data that different apps are grabbing of you by using alternative apps that are more respectful of your privacy. And one way is to use a different... App Store, not just the Google Play Store, and there's one called F-Droid, which has only apps that are respectful of people's privacy and they are fully free and open source. So that's one way forward. I guess the other question is around the hardware question that you were posing. And uh, so can you tell us a bit more about what is the key problem in regards to accessing more open hardware in the mobile world? So there's always been a problem in the 
uh, I think it comes down to radio hardware. So there is what's called the baseband chip. This controls your communication with the... Um, the external world. Yeah, with, with, with the mobile phone provider. Uh, and also there's the relationship uh, with the mobile phone, with the, with the networks, in that they want to provide locked phones. And this is um, between the baseband chip having to be approved by governments... Um, and the code, and, and there seems to be the, the manufacturers believe there's an advantage in keeping this code secret. I'm not sure if there is. This is the Certainly what we've seen is a lot of devices, and especially Android devices, becoming discardable or discarded as a result of lack of extended support. And at times the issue of keeping them up to date software-wise has to do with... Um, coding or adapting, compiling old uh, software for specific uh, pieces of hardware. And if the hardware is closed source, meaning that the way to compile it is not accessible by a large community, it's less likely that big corporations will continue to provide support to the devices in the long term. And so if we were able to fix that and actually make more open hardware mandatory or highly recommended, we could probably reduce some of the planned obsolescence. While in retrospect, looking at what happened with the Firefox OS story is they had a model based on trying to reach out to um, billions of people in the developing world using very cheap phones. But as a result of that, now them discarding their project, it means that some of these phones will automatically become obsolete much faster, which is quite a shame in retrospect. Moving on, uh, Dave, I wanted to ask your comments on another story that was quite interesting this week. We read about the Wall Street Journal reporting on whether uh, extended warranties uh, and insurance policies on gadgets are actually worth it or not. Yeah, I mean, it was that was a it was an interesting take. Like well, the story itself, it wasn't necessarily anything new. I didn't think, but it was well it was well done, uh, and it made it very clear, like the benefits or lack of benefits of getting a, a warranty for your for your smartphone i mean when i was reading it mostly i, I was thinking well I, I break my phone a lot less than i thought because actually uh it seems like it's more common to break your phone uh than i thought but but also um the thing about the warranty kind of model is um, to me i mean all of that's kind of slightly <clears throat> slightly theoretical to me because I, I i can't really ever afford to pay for warranties or insurance or any of these things so i always kind of look at it and think I like stories that say it's sensible not to get warranties because I don't get warranties. And so it's nice to be accidentally sensible, I guess. Um, but but yeah, I mean, the, the story itself uh, basically outlines how um, if if you are basic, if you if you don't break your phone very often, it's cheaper to not get a warranty because the cost of fixing it yourself is less than the paying for the warranty as a general rule which is interesting and, and something that people should definitely be aware of yeah a piece of recommendation from the article was well instead of buy the extended warranty save some of that money every time you um you are buying a new device and 
maybe one th- you need to repair one of the devices that you actually own, you'll see that you have more money that you've saved through um, saving from the warranties uh, and you can just use that. I think that it depends on the device a little bit. Right. Probably some more higher value devices could actually benefit from extended warranty. And it depends how accident uh, accident prone you are. Yes. Um, and it also depends on like how, how quickly you need that phone mended. Like if you're someone who really can't handle any gap in your uh, smartphone use, then getting a warranty will protect that even if it won't protect your final Absolutely. And actually, we did come across uh, recently a laudable initiative from um, a big player in the secondhand uh, market of all kinds of small electricals and electronics, uh, Computer Exchange, which recently upped their game by offering a 24-month, so two full years, warranty of all of the used products that they sell, which is possibly quite game-changing as it will help people find less resistance to buying secondhand because time, at times people are a bit worried that the products they buy might, might last or not. Right, and that was also another element in that, in that, uh, in that article in that um, one of the things it was, it was saying is if your phone does break, uh, you know, you can sell it. You can sell secondhand phones rather than just putting it in the drawer and actually the money that you get from that sale may help uh, to, to, to offset the money that you spend on, on the next phone. Excellent. Um, So actually, we wanted to now change topic completely and uh, go to an uplifting story that we've come across this week. And uh, I will play a little soundbite to get started about it. So this week we've come across a fantastic, inspiring, uplifting video um, that was published by Al Jazeera about Esteban Quispe, a 17-year-old indigenous inventor in Patacamaya, Bolivia, who allegedly uh, managed to build, using scrap materials from uh, a local dump, um, a replica of the amazing Wally robot. And Wally being one of our mascots of the research project that we take to all of our events, we were quite struck and, and inspired. What, what did you make of it, uh, Ten? It was beautiful. It's an, it's an inspiring piece of footage. Um, looking behind it, I, yeah, I, I, I get cynical sometimes about these things, but yeah, I, I urge everyone to check out the bit of footage. It's, uh, it's a nice, hope-inspiring. Yeah, piece. I mean, it, I guess it, it, it tells a lot about what is the potential, as it might sound cliche, but to actually find useful material in what other people might consider a piece of uh, garbage. I mean, it's possible that this person employed a discarded Arduino controller in order to create this robot. We don't know. We haven't seen the full specifications. But to imagine that someone in 2015, perhaps even in Bolivia, has discarded such a thing is quite astonishing. And that the, 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 it's self-taught. It's all self-taught. So a 17-year-old from Bolivia. 
Yeah, I mean, from robots. anywhere. I mean, I really. found that yeah, I found that video uh, more inspiring and uh, like uh, engaging and emotionally rewarding than the film Wall E uh, itself. Because uh, what I liked about it is that it was more realistic about like uh, the robot doesn't have any feelings, but the uh, the person who made it does and has like, uh, objectives that are kind of positive and like tr- to try and protect like the, his own culture and his own people and to to develop that using a robot. I think is a much more inspiring message really than uh, a robot falls in love with another robot which isn't isn't that realistic to me well although the, the whole <laughs> idea of exploring what can come out of what people normally consider garbage or a yeah. dump is quite uplifting and really a good message absolutely for us um so i think that's about all we have time for for today um actually speaking of wally i would like to dedicate this last segment of the show to a restarter group in northern italy in um in the northwest it's called the langeroero group who are hosting the very last restart party of the whole year this next sunday in uh, in a my hometown of Bra, Italy, um, in the mu- toy museum of the town. And they will be repairing all kinds of broken toys in preparation for Christmas, as well as actually f- preparing an official screening of Wally to go along with it. But closer to home, we have our very last restart party of the year happening this evening, uh, Tuesday 15th of December, uh, here in London at the Kentish Town Community Centre from 6 to 9pm and we will be joined by the Cracked It team, which is a group of young people learning how to repair broken screens of iPhones uh, in order to create new opportunities, new jobs and a new hope in communities in East London. As for the Restart Project, you can follow us online at Restart Project on Twitter and Facebook slash Restart Project on our website uh, www.therestartproject.org to much more news in the new year uh, with Restart Radio. Thank you. <laughs>